Welcome to Thawhack. So, hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Thought Hack. The, the conversation prior to this was wild. <laughs> um, so, I'm really excited and privileged to be sitting with Tazeen Khan Aurelius. Yes. yes. She, she insisted we, we include the Khan because it was her, her premarital, like, it's like, what's that? Um, the, your maiden name. Yes. So you got married this year, six months ago. Congratulations! Thank you. So what? Um, what led to that? You you mentioned your husband was an entrepreneur. Um, yep, two years of long distance. We got engaged in May and married in June. I'm not pregnant, um, but that happened because my parents are Muslim and I uh, married a white guy, and so it was my quid pro quo. <laughs> my mom decided oh, so the only way you could get it off is by marrying him like immediately yeah for her she was just like look everybody in the community now knows that, that you guys are together we're engaged um can you just like go to the mosque real quick and we're like sure mom and That's and he he signed up for that he was like yeah let's do that yeah i cook really well so he just wanted me near him to cook for him all the time i'm gonna get this <laughs> a little bit closer to you the mics are great, okay. by the way. Shout out to Blue Mike, who's um, our our primary sponsor. Um, but like the audio is clearer when you get closer. This, yeah, this space. Um, so your your husband married you um, for your cooking. Yeah. So okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> you said it. So I don't get anyway, that. there's a there's a longer story to all of that. But in short, we got married, and now I'm actually back and forth between Queens and Detroit. And, um, he lives in Detroit. Yes, so I'm from Queens, and I moved four months ago. And to um, Detroit. To Detroit. To oh well, okay, that's that's fascinating. So you're in a relationship, and this is something that I've been seeing a lot recently, where mm-hmm. people are open to being married but not living together. Yeah. So what? What made you decide that's what worked best for you guys? Well, we do all of my things. I consider where I live where all my clothes are and mm. all of my things. And so I do have all of my things there. And But I am back and forth between New York and Detroit. But my job and what I do for a living, all of my book of business is in New York. And so it's lucrative for me to be here as much as possible. Mm. My entire family's here. And so my family is everything to me. Um and so we come back and forth, and we were long distance the entire time anyway, so it's not like much has changed. So what what <laughs> got you um, interested in being in a long-term, like, I mean, long-distance relationship with someone? Long-distance relationships are, can I curse? Yeah, please. Oh, long-distance relationships we are prefer. the shit, okay? Because first off, you learn communication like there is no other. I think that it forces you to have to um, really articulate your words if you're not face-to-face with someone. Um, so communication is way better, I think, in a long-distance relationship. There's space. When you do meet with one another, it's full quality time the entire time versus 
getting used to one another. And I actually, even when we have longer periods of time, if I haven't come back to New York or something, <clears throat> we like routine starts to kick in and I'm like, yo, we got to still be ourselves. And routine is great. Obviously I'm a creature of habit, so I need routine, but, um, long distance I think is just really healthy in my opinion really so but it's not for everybody yeah so how how do you reconcile that with wanting to be close to somebody not to get too too involved in no i'm in an open book it's, a, it's okay All right, fantastic yeah so that's <laughs> physically uh, you mean physical intimacy no, i wasn't going to just say that but not in terms of sex physical mm-hmm. intimacy in terms of like sometimes you just want to physically be next to yeah and those those times are really hard there are times where I have had, um, like, dark moments of wanting to be with him or vice versa where if I needed him if something happened or, um, you know, I'm an emotional person. I'm a cancer. Shout out to cancers. But <laughs> so um, there's a real room full of them right now. That's why I just wanted to say that. And my husband's also a cancer. But... We're going, we're going to ignore the, we're going to ignore the cancers. <laughs> we're going to ignore the cancers. <laughs> but anyway, um, in those moments, I think you have to find intimacy in a different way, which pushes you, in my opinion, or it did for us at least, to bring us closer because we found we know each other's love languages and we wanted to be around one another, but there were ways that we found intimacy, um, even in long distance and, I think it helped us be stronger. Do you think the the fact that the two of you are entrepreneurs helped or hurt the whole long distance thing? I think it helped because we both really understand that we need to do the things that we need to do in order to do the things that we want to do. Um, <clears throat> and so we know that like, yo, I it's really hard being in a relationship and I've done it with somebody that's not in, I guess, an entrepreneur business or sales of some sort. When you're an entrepreneur, you have to sell whatever you're doing. But <clears throat> some people just don't get it that you have to like really grind and hustle. So he understands that. And I understand his side too, like work meetings, schmoozing dinners and happy hours and stuff. But the biggest thing is like, I just trust him and he trusts yeah, me. Yeah, that's a big thing That's too. a big thing. Like, I don't feel <clears throat> insecure around him. There hasn't been. And I think that's the hardest piece of long distance because there have been guys that I have dated that I would never have been in a long distance relationship with ever. Yeah. Because I know. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and you have the feeling uh, and when you, you know. When you know he needs his medicine. Right. On a, a consistent basis. Uh, exactly. So, but, yeah. Oh, uh, um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to follow up that. Um, so you're you're married with this person, and of course, this is a, a long haul thing for you. Yes. How does being an entrepreneur sort of impede or hurt your relationship? Because I mean, there there has to be downsides. To it. I was just talking to somebody about this because being married is a full time fucking job, and at least for me, um, I cook every day. A clean. Do you do you send it to him? Um, when I'm when I'm home, like oh, I when, cook when you're with him. When I'm with him, oh, so okay. when I'm away, I get a I lot like, of shit done. How's he eating? How's he eating? It's like look, look actually, what I did on Facetime. I actually cook meals ahead of time, and I leave them in the fridge, and sometimes they are labeled for him and uh, ready to consume throughout the week while I'm gone, <laughs> because that's how I roll. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, just because you know I cook good. 
And so I'd rather him eat yeah, I saw my your, food. I saw your Instagram. I mean, it looks it looks great on Instagram. My yeah. brother said his name is Anik Khan, and I, um, you know, he's yeah. a little public, so I want to make sure that you you mentioned him. What does he do? He is a musician. Nice. Yeah, and um, he said top five wings he's ever had were my wings, top five, and he's been shitting on me about my cooking, and I talk about my wings, mm-hmm. and he like. He's like, shut up, Tazine. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have fat under your arms. Like, you're not making wings, dog. Like, you're not, you're not coming out here. And then he ate my wings and he started to follow up with ways to market my wings. Okay. And actually figure out ways to sell them and start a business. I was like, so you went from shitting on me about my wings and how they probably weren't that good to immediately eating them and figuring out a way on how to sell them to make so, money like, and profit. You're gonna, you're gonna like run a food truck full time? <laughs> no, I'm never. I'm not gonna do that. So talk to me about the the cybersecurity thing. Um, I am a cybersecurity specialist. I've been doing this for like just shy of ten years now, and um, I have my own cybersecurity services company. But I also enjoy doing consumer awareness work, and um, started posting like pretty irreverent videos on Instagram about cybersecurity. And I feel like you, um, the cybersecurities I've watched, the the videos you've you've put together are very, it makes cybersecurity approachable. It's not like, because I, I, um, I've been to conferences and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, no, no offense. Cause no, it's a like, bunch of white dudes. Yeah, you don't <laughs> look like, like someone into cybersecurity. When we were at the event, you said cybersecurity. I did double take. Like, get the fuck out. Like, yeah. really? Like, and I mean, it's cool. It's actually cool that like there are people getting into the space that don't look like everyone else. And mm-hmm. I feel like diversity outside of like any like altruistic reason to do it basically leads to better problem solving because we have different points of view and so on and so forth. What got you into cybersecurity? Um, I was working in a Michael Kors and I had three jobs. I was in college and a lady walked in and she had her man holding all of her bags and uh, she would, looked extremely fly and I wanted to know what she did and how she did it. So I emailed her after I sold her a bunch of shit mm-hmm. <laughs> and she bought it. Um, I emailed her pretty much every three months until she hired me and it took almost a year. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she hired me and it was a government contracting firm and my team was focused in cybersecurity. And so I was an inside sales rep and inside sales reps basically um, manage accounts that sales reps have already sold into. And then... Um, I just started understanding the technology and products and more, and I got interested in it. And I was um, my mentor at the time. I wanted to do training because teaching and public speaking is something that I've always loved to do. And he was like, I don't think you understand the market that you're in and the advantage that you have given my personality and the way that I am. Yeah. And I was working in the public sector at the time. So he was like, just stick to one thing. And that was the best advice that he gave me instead of like, because I wasn't happy at my job. And so I um, attached that to security. But then I got picked up by McAfee and I started working at McAfee and um, closed some good deals. I was still in sales at the time. And um, some crazy life shit happened and I took a break. 
afterward and soon traveled for like a year and came back and worked at a boutique consulting company and that's where um everything kind of popped off for me where it like really connected so although I've been in the space for almost 10 years it's been like the past four or five years where the passion matched the work I guess mm, cool. so when you were working at McAfee you ever meet John no he's wild uh, though yeah I, I didn't meet John I always <laughs> want to have a conversation with that guy he's like yeah, he's he's a wild person. But that's the um, first thing people yeah. would, <laughs> especially yeah, being a female too. Like, so do you know John? He's a crazy person. No, he's he's yeah. really crazy. His videos are really like fucked up too. If you actually see on YouTube, like he's a white dude. He's like black women all up in his videos and brown women, but like dancing around him, and it's just like this white dude in a robe like laying around. It's just weird. It's fucking but, weird. I mean, outside of the obvious crazy shit whenever someone speaks and i i feel like or i would consider them like a insider mm-hmm. i always go with the as crazy as this sounds what if okay so when he when he would go on these like wild conspiracy theory rants mm-hmm. i'd be like what if he's like what if he's what if he's right and nine times out of ten when you hear this stuff coming out of someone's mouth, it's like an older white dude. Yeah. It's not very, it's not a very nice package. Most people don't really give a fuck about cybersecurity and beyond. I know. Right? And it's, it impacts people. Like when I was, to- I spoke to somebody about, um, like Yang's stance on owning like your data and so on and so forth. And they're like, yeah, I don't really give a fuck about that. I'm like, dude, you have no idea what you're talking about. Like you basically, there's an algorithm that's sort of aggregating everything about you and you don't care who has that information. Yeah. And that's why I started doing the videos that I started to mm-hmm. do. And um, it was just like, and it was also within my client set. And I, I had one project and we were doing a phishing simulation mm-hmm. and phishing simulations are basically like emails or some sort of messaging that is, um, Put together in a package where um, it it has common information that people will probably be susceptible to clicking or downloading. So um, relatable messaging, right, based off of behavior analytics that people have done. And so in our case, it was simulated in the company. And uh, we were just talking. We did the simulation, and then they did this training, and it was just like some dude from IT that didn't know public speaking at all whatsoever. And then afterward, they're given, after the training, they're given the simulation again and people failed. And so they were putting together the like um, consequences of failing and clicking and downloading because for almost all organizations, that is, it will fuck things up. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it will really, I mean, downloading a malicious attachment can ruin an entire organization. My first company was, um, my first company was an IT company. And okay. the two biggest things we dealt with, it was either, it was usually on either extreme. It was either something as simple as someone left something unplugged mm-hmm. or someone downloaded like really malicious malware and there was like a crash. I remember um, one of our clients had a day trading firm and I think someone downloaded something, it corrupted the network and it was just this big like crash and it was just, you know, opening emails, like clickbait, like... Yeah, like a stupid gift card or something or things that don't even look real. 
yeah. you know, that people click. But in this scenario, they were going to make it a fireable offense if people like three times and you're out and because if you, if, open, something, if you yeah. open something and don't be, and especially because they were doing the trainings but how, I, how old were they i feel like this is a is that a negative term now like boomer i feel like it's like older people who it's everybody really it's it's seriously everybody I don't click but, on anything. but older the older generation i feel like i don't it's not always older generation it's also i feel like for me it's the uh, department Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it varies by department. So that people who people, are less savvy, less savvy, yeah. And so they're clicking malicious attachments and whatnot, mm-hmm. or just like susceptible for. But C level executives do it all the time too. Yeah. And so it's happening everywhere. And I mean, the messaging is getting so on point that it's extremely hard to tell the to tell the difference. I mean, because we oh, have sorry, no you good because we have spyware and adware because all of these organizations are aggregating our data because so they're they have, getting better at they yeah. because it's it's fucking public information and because we also put our shit out there and we talk about our personal interests, our personal lives, where we're going, what we're doing, we're tagging shit, where everything is public. So when you're getting messaging that like people are just making it so easy for somebody to come at and them because you don't have to do any research. You, you just could possibly I mean you're there's so much about you that could be like basically gleamed from not just social media but like you know your your habits online mm-hmm. that you know people are basically working out how you think what's going on I this is I don't know if this has happened more than once but it keeps taking me back to that woman who I guess Facebook discovered she was pregnant before she did mm-hmm. and like you know they kept sending her pregnancy stuff and it's just based off of I guess her habits or whatever shopping she was doing. Like it, it figured it out, and it's just like. And then the dad like, found out yeah, that she it's was like pregnant. Super invasive. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, I don't think this is related, but there was a woman who recently found out her husband was cheating because of Fitbit. Oh shit! That's crazy. It's it's rough. Out. <laughs> it's yeah. It's, uh, take the Fitbit off, man. <laughs> take um, take it off, man. But it's um. it's everything, and it's not trickling like. Nothing is trickling down. And so you go to security events and everyone's talking about security and they're talking about how human error is the number one reason why companies are getting breached. Security companies don't give a fuck about getting people aware because the more breaches happen, the more money they're going to (laughs) make, right? And so they don't really necessarily take a lot of time to do the awareness piece. And then also nobody's listening to Tom, Chad, Dick, and Harry Mm-hmm. about their ideas on how to keep my personal stuff secure right like so you feel like because it's in a it's in a better package that it's it's going to be more receptive it, the message is is better received coming from you yeah you're young you're a woman not even that i just speak like people mm-hmm. <laughs> like i'm not i'm breaking down terminology i think it's if it is Given in a way, if you can make it, when I say relatable, I mean like actually make it, we are so self-centered in today's age. If it isn't about how it directly affects me, 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 people don't really want to listen to it. And so for cybersecurity, first off, the word has been pinned in like either for businesses, it's like don't have budget or it's it 
is put into this like it has to be a tool like i need to buy a cybersecurity tool in order okay. to have into my organization and then for people it's like oh, cybersecurity mm-hmm. like when i tell people i'm in cybersecurity they're like wow how did how did that happen are you like a hacker and like they immediately go into the media's image of what yeah, just- cybersecurity is have you been to any of the the conferences yeah i used did to have to go, go to, to them all the time um the the i guess the capital of cybersecurity in the world is is Israel. Yes. And they have this big conference in Tel Aviv I got invited to, but I was like terrified to go. Oh, they have them. Um, they actually have one in the States too. They have them all over, but Black Hat and DEF CON, those are yeah, the in, biggest hacking. In Vegas, right? In Vegas, yeah. yeah. I fucking hate Vegas so much. What? It's. Okay, all right. You gotta, so you gotta much. get out. No. You gotta get out of here, man. I just can't. I can't. And being what? in, I was in sales, so I had to go to Vegas for conferences all the time. I love Vegas. Yeah, you're not a fucking woman in Vegas around a bunch of dudes having to deal with the fact that they've never seen titties before. And so then they see something and then they look at you and you it's awkward. (laughs) Like it's so even though it doesn't have to be. So for a woman it's following, I'm following, but completely different experience. But you can't blame Vegas for that. That's a dude thing. That yes, but it's just like think about it. All of these conferences, because it's male dominant fucking industries they purposely put the conferences in las vegas for the fact that people will go to these conferences because people like sex (laughs) really i mean that i mean tech industry tech company like it's it's all we are going to ces in january see i'm i might be going to ces in january too really actually my husband will be there fantastic yeah give us a shout we i will we're, we're out there yeah every year but do you under, but, do you, but do you see that though like the way that that's set well, up like it's not we're going out there for work we're not going out there for any type of nefarious okay nefarious <laughs> things we have stories even i even i would go out there for nefarious shit right mm-hmm. like i'm down mm-hmm. but the but the concept of the way that it I mean, well, I'm sorry, Tess. We're we're professionals here. We don't oh, okay. we don't move that way. People, people. Anyway, it's just like I was talking to my sister about this, and it was an interesting conversation. She was just she wears hijab, and mm-hmm. my family were Muslim, and so she was like, "Yeah, half the conferences and shit, like, and happy hours or events, I can't really go to because I don't like I don't want to go to fucking Vegas. Like, it's not it go because of the hijab." Yeah, just against moral compass and like being around something like that. It's all like gambling, sex, drinking. She's not going to absorb alcohol through like osmosis. No, not at all. But it's just being in an environment like the fact that every in order, if if somebody wants to learn something and they're interested in something because of the location, like it's Sin City. You know what I'm saying? Like being that location, there's billions of people that are turned off by attending something like that just because of the location because it might go against something I that they believe in. I think it's negative branding or- because I think, well, Vegas itself is is trying to change its perception because, like, you know, they, they have the stadium being built and, like, mm-hmm. you know, they have all that stuff going on. Outside of the Strip, because if you think of a Strip like we think of Times Square because I, I avoid mm-hmm. Times Square like Same. the plague. Most people that live in Vegas don't even really go to the Strip. I agree. Now, the conference thing is wild. There are parties. There's a lot going on. And there is a lot of what you're talking about. And in regards to the behavior, that's reprehensible. I don't agree (laughs) with anyone who's making women feel uncomfortable. And I'm totally down with the the movement. 
the, the movement don't, mine don't isn't even like it though don't it's, come get me I'm, um at least being in a situation like that when i'm in vegas i say whatever the fuck i want back to people so if you're gonna say some wild shit to me i'm gonna say some wild shit right back i think that's that's generally the reaction they're looking for though right yeah but it's like so i was in vegas and i was at a bar i was and, at a tech conference but you tell you're married you got a wedding ring on yeah I, that's like an even i feel like people ha- approach me more now that I have a wedding ring on, I don't know why. It's like something that they want that, yeah. you know. But I was at a bar. I was younger. I was I just turned 21, and I was at a conference. And this dude came up to me, and I had taken off my heels, and I put on my sneakers. I don't really wear heels anymore at all because I got bad knees. But at the time, I would wear heels. I didn't mean to laugh. <laughs> no, it's good. I got I have, I have torn ACLs, and I've oh, torn okay. them multiple times, so I like... I'm not risking. Were you in athletics or? No, dog. No, I can't even talk about that. Oh, it's, it's not oh, yeah, even. It's, cool. it's not. It, I was skateboarding, and oh, it so just that's, that's, it keeps happening that's every athletic. time I skateboard. That's athletic. Yeah. That's a um, But so um, I was at the bar, and this guy came up to me, and he was like, "Taz, you you took your heels off. You look so different." And I was just like, "Yeah, man, I'm pretty short." <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and I thought that's what he was referencing. It's like, no, you just you look so different. Wait, it just changes your body. Let me ask you a question. Do you fuck with heels on? But, and it was like Ugh. in front of a bunch of people. First off, all of these guys. Like, this was at a bar or where? In like, front of mad people. Okay. Yeah. This was at the Wynn Hotel. At the Wynn Hotel. In, in Vegas. And uh, he. Are we dropping names or no? We're not doing No, that? we're not dropping right. names. Okay, okay, cool. It's, but he, you know who you I'm are. I'm not going to carry the same small dick energy that he had. Okay. But um, we. I hope my my candor is appropriate for oh, your podcast. Oh, <laughs> That's, I mean, okay. there's a whole story I'll tell you off camera, but the, it's, it's part of why we did the rebrand. We Okay. All right. We don't care. Okay, cool. Um, we actually appreciate it. So when he said that, um, and it was in front of a bunch of guys, like nerdy fucking guys, if we were at a bar and weren't in Vegas, and if I wasn't a salesperson or a vendor that they, I guess, believed that they had did like you know a this leg person? up on. Like, yes. You guys had a relationship. Yes. yes. And um, he like said it and even looked back around to see if people had heard him and so i just looked at him and i was just like actually it really depends on the size of a guy's dick let me see your dick well you said that yeah i was like show me your dick i want to see it and i was so loud on purpose wow and i was like everybody here probably wants to see your dick Let's look at it because there is no fucking chance in hell that if you were a well-endowed man that you would ever speak to a woman like that or ask that type of a question. That's none of your business. So either you have a really fucking small dick and you're insecure and you're projecting it on me right now or that that's it. Like that oh, yeah. that's probably okay. the, that's only, the, the only the only way. Hmm. He turned so red. He said that was so inappropriate, Taz. Like try to turn it around on me about making that you low-key you low-key did escalate it a little bit kiss my ass no that he asked me if i fucked with heels on no i know i'm I'm saying you you met him with the same energy i'm not saying that you shouldn't have but i'm just saying yeah i met him with some energy i'm from fucking queens like don't just because we in vegas and you feel like you have a one-up because i'm a vendor and you're somebody i'm trying to sell to oh this is Oh, this is a sales situation. Yes. Oh, I, so you know what I'm saying? So, but anyway, he never talked to me again. I see him all the time. Uh, did you? Did you lose the sale? Um. Yeah. 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 
I would imagine so, but, you know. Definitely lost If you closed it, I would have been like, wow. Yeah, she definitely sucked his dick. No. (laughs) Must have been big. No. Oh, are we cutting that out? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, You said thought hack. You've hacked into the real parts of my frontal lobe, (laughs) and uh, here we are. (laughs) And this is why I uh, started Um, my own company. So, um, yeah. It's like, if we had, like, an HR rep, they'd be knocking at the door, like... Knocking so hard. So, you being in tech and it being male-dominated, I'm not going to compare it... I'm not going to compare it too much to being like a, a black guy in tech because mm-hmm. I mean different narrative, different narrative. But I think there are some parallels because you know I go to a lot of these conferences. It's not a lot of guys that look like me, um, but there's still a a level of comfort because I'm still around guys and mm-hmm. you know. And I've never ever not once been made to feel uncomfortable. Yeah, there's never been anything racial or anything like that that happens to me. Not saying it doesn't happen to other people. I've just never been in that situation. But obviously, as a woman, you probably run into that stuff a lot. Mm-hmm. Why choose an industry that there's there's so much friction, or is this just anywhere you I go? I feel like it's anywhere you go. Mm-hmm. And I also, I mean, I'm myself all the time, and I've I've had these conversations with other women and my peers before too like well Taz you know the things that the way that you speak might invite people to presume presume or you know um approach you or say yeah talk to you that way or whatever which is I mean I'm down to talk about stuff right I'm very open I'm an open book but I think there is like a line of just respect of Of the way that you ask a question or you know if he was my homie if if he was a homie and somebody asked me a question like that i would have been like actually (laughs) but (laughs) i can tell you but honestly i don't for me the the weirdest thing about that if it happened exactly like you said i'm sure it did yeah just you know I don't even see the connect in the conversation. There was like a huge get. Like, how did we even get you? And it happens all the time. I got my. It was like speaking of tomatoes. Four months into my last, four months into my last job, and you know what? This guy is actually the head of channels um, at RSA, one of the biggest technology companies. And um, oh wow, he wasn't at the time, but he came in to a work happy hour and. Um, I literally only exchanged my name with him, okay? So you just told him your name. That's it. And we had vendor meetings all day. Like, my last company, they did something awesome where they would bring in the vendors, we'd learn about the different technologies, and then that's how we would consult into our clients about all of the products that we knew about. But anyway, he came in to do that. And he wasn't even scheduled. He just kind of, like, shoved his way in because he knew one of the other reps. And he came to the happy hour. He was already drunk. Mind you, I'd met him for 30 seconds in a room where everybody went around the room and introduced themselves. And that was the extent of my conversation with him. He went outside, came back in, smacked my ass in front of my boss, in front of the entire team. Wait. So this a person you've never met before. Smack my ass. Never met before. And he... And even if he met you, that's like way... like. But just to presume 
you could just smack a stranger's ass. But even if, even if, like, you know, the way I talk, mm. given this podcast, right, and people yeah. are listening, or I hadn't even, he didn't even know my personality, right? Like, mm. but that's not if, an excuse either. It's not an excuse either. But I'm saying, like, you know, there was nothing. I think I was wearing a fucking turtleneck that day. It was in December. Mm. I was in Boston. You could walk. You could technically be walking around in a bikini, and, and it don't. Yeah, it's right, not cool. Right, but regardless, and that mm. happened. And then I, I, and it was such a weird situation to be in because I just started at that company and I was the only fucking brown person there and one of three females and they were all, excuse me, very clicky. Um, they all grew up together and went, I was the first one found through a recruiter for that company. Everybody at that organization knew somebody and had known each other for many years. So just really quickly to go back to the, I, not that I want you to relive it, mm-hmm. but just for a second, yeah. like, let's live in that moment, right? Yeah. So he smacks your ass and yep. you're standing there. Yep. What's going through that? Um, I wanted to murk him was what went through my head. Mm-hmm. I almost spit on him, but instead I turned around and I said, what the fuck was that? <laughs> mm-hmm. And he said it was a football tap. I was, and I said, we are uh, not in a football stadium and I looked at him, I was like, if you ever touch me again, it's going to be a serious problem. And I just need you to know that, like, mm-hmm. that what you did was not okay. It was super inappropriate. I said more things, but I can't remember. It was four years ago. And I like blacked out in that moment. Mm-hmm. But it was like afterward, my boss came up to me because it was in front of everyone, right? Mm-hmm. And in so many of those situations, like women are not believed. And me having my personality, I'm sure nobody would have believed me if... I would have said some shit later, mm-hmm. right? But it happened in front of everybody. And my boss was awesome. He was like, what do you want me to do? Like, he, do you want me to tell him to leave right now? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? It's cool. Just keep him away from me. Because he was drunk as shit. Not that that's an excuse or anything no. like that. But like, I was like, I don't want to. And the owner of the entire organization was also there because our holiday party was going to happen. And so he would like visit each region's holiday party. And so I didn't want to make it a big deal. I just started and I was just trying to keep it under the radar. Um, but then this this guy came back and he pulled my hair. The, the same day? Same fucking guy, same night, came back and pulled my hair. And he uh, said, "Hey, why are you? Why aren't you talking to me anymore? I was just joking. I was just kidding." And that's when I turned around and I went the fuck off. And I was like, "I don't know what you how see." Long ago was this? This is four four years. years ago. Okay. I was like, "I don't know what you see here, but I'm not them. And I will take this fucking bottle and smash it against your head if you touch me again. Do not fucking touch me." And then I went to my boss and I literally said, "I'm going to take this bottle and smash it against his head if you guys don't kick him out." And then he got kicked out. Um, and I ran into him at events, like he would be at events all the time. And he told people about that instance and was like, well, Taz isn't like, I never brought it up again. He told so many fucking people about that. So many people. Did he like accurately depict what happened? He was like, I, I did, I, I don't know what he said to Mm -hmm. other people, but people came up to me to the point where his fucking wife called me. Oh, okay. Months later. And what did she say? And she was like, I um, I have heard that my husband is, is, is in an affair and I think it's you. Like, 
he it's like your your ass jumped up and smacked his hand and, right exactly and so i think my uh speculation and we talked about this like with my colleagues um i think he was in an affair but he told her it was me so that she would call me and i would so strongly say no that he would get away with being in an affair because i was like so strong about the fact that like what the fuck are you talking about because she called me i was like no actually your husband sexually harassed me and molested me publicly um and smacked my ass after meeting him for 30 seconds and um i don't know why you would even like how somebody would interact with him but uh, that was the only interaction, like my four minutes of enter- ever interacting with that man. Um, and she didn't only just call me, she called, and he also called my boss, called all of the other peers that I worked with to get them to vouch for the fact that he wasn't, like, obviously their life and their personal life was all fucked up, but like four months into my new job and I was dealing with this. Jesus Christ. So... This is actually not the conversation I'm planning on having with yeah, you. Yeah, but, but anyway, we're here. No, we're here. <laughs> so um, let's let's go down this um, Me Too rabbit hole. Um, so all of this shit happened to you, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And like you know, I can't I'm, I can't relate, so I can't yeah. really. There's no reference point for me. Um, so going through what you went through and then hearing stories from other women, this is probably like a sore spot for you. Mm-hmm. So when you say people don't believe women, you operate from a point where you automatically believe. Other women? Yeah. Um, I haven't been in a situation to like in a place where I'm asked, like, do you believe this person or not? Or like the stories that I have heard. Like, there's never been a speculation. Most of the time, the things that I hear about or women tell me about are concrete. Like, I've seen it with my own eyes and it has happened. Or it's by a guy that we all know is a fucking creep or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I would say to answer your question directly, yes, I believe women. Mm -hmm. When somebody says, like, this happened. But there are also a lot of people out there that make up shit in general to be you know but i'm I'm on neither side i i don't yeah i mean i don't it's just like i mean i didn't go and report it to whatever and make like a a thing because for me i would much rather like handle it myself um than do like the whole hr route my my initial gut reaction when a lot of this started to break was okay that's that's monstrous and so on and so forth and then when it went from like one story to like 50 stories at some point and of course me being a numbers guy i'm like okay some of this has to be like bullshit right there's Mm -hmm. no there's no way that all of this is like on point and then i'm i'm in the place where i'm like a lot of the bs and the the sort of anything that's like this attention grabbing Mm mm-hmm is hurting the overall messaging because everybody's now like, oh, like, you know, he hugged me longer than I thought he was. Yeah, and when I hear stuff like that, it's just like, to me, you carry your own agency and if something really bothered you that much in that moment, like, I'm a big believer of, like, speak up and speak your mind for the things that bother you and for the things that you want. Um, so am I crazy for thinking, like, for instance, the, the, um, 
the Louis C.K. situation, mm-hmm. right? I don't know if you heard about that. I did, but I don't know. I can speak on the Aziz Ansari one because I have many opinions I wanted to on touch that. On, I wanted to touch on that as well. I have many, right? many opinions on that. But the Louis C.K. one, specifically when he was on the phone and, and again... I I probably have room to grow in a lot of this, so mm-hmm. I'm very open-minded. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, if somebody's doing something inappropriate on the phone, yeah, I'm just gonna hang up. Right. I I don't I don't get it. I don't get I don't yeah. get situations like that. Or like if you are alone in a man's apartment, you're making out, and then he whips it out to try to bang. Of course he's trying to fuck you. What did you yeah. think he was trying to do in that room, Shorty? What were you doing in that room? You was trying to do the same. You know what I'm saying? Like, in my opinion, in my but, humble opinion. Okay, so <laughs> if I if I have this correctly in terms of the Aziz Ansari situation, he he met her at his apartment first for drinks. So they mm-hmm. had drinks. Mm-hmm. And what was weird for me in that whole situation was she chronicled the entire day. Yeah, and nowhere did she verbalize and say that she was uncomfortable. Yeah. So she eventually did, but then he immediately stopped. Exactly. Which I I assume you're supposed to do. Exactly. But the story to me kind of sound sounded more like buyer's remorse than. One hundred percent agreed. That that wasn't assault, and that actually, in my opinion, like um, ruins the word for people that actually got assaulted. I actually got assaulted, right? Like there are women that actually get assaulted. If you showed up in somebody's apartment and y'all are getting drinks and you're making out and touching each other physically and then he tries to take the next step and you like are not... Should he have asked her for permission? I... I, That's probably the dumbest thing. Like if somebody... For me, in my opinion... That's what people say you have to do now. Like you have to ask for it. Like are you okay with me doing this or something like that, right? But like... Organically, in the moment, that's not the first thing that occurs. It's it will fuck up everything. Yeah. <laughs> it will fuck up the whole but, vibe. But it's it's sort of like on on the flip side, as a as a guy, you run the risk of being insensitive or yeah, people are way too sensitive about like I mean when that's Nick not came out with that app the the like you know basically signed consent app. I thought it was ridiculous, and then I wait. Was just Nick like, Cannon came out with a sign consent yeah, for consent celebrities app? and athletes. Like basically, you get someone to consent, and the the app is basically built. So oh, that's probably smart for celebrities yeah. and athletes because I feel like they're targeted. Yeah, you know, for something like that. Yeah, but situations like that, like I mean, you carry agency. If you cannot use your words as a grown person, and I get people are triggered and people have had experiences that put them in a place to blah, 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 like, then you shouldn't have been out with somebody by yourself. If you're you're in some guy's apartment and you start making out and things start to happen and then you say no and he gets off you and then you start... Like, that's it. That's not assault. That's it. That was just a... But then it's like, you start crying and acting hysterical. He's like, oh, fuck, I'm going to lose my job. Like, and I'm never going to be able to work again because now I have to go away. And that's what what people expect. I feel like situations like Louis C.K. where, I mean, a lot of the things some of these people do is reprehensible, but I don't, these people don't disappear. They don't like go down like to some island where we never going to see or hear from them again. Like, you, you push these people into a corner, and then they all kind of gather. I think that's how, like, the, the incel movement started, where you kind of give these people no choice but to, like, huddle together in some, like, 
echo chamber where they they sort of mobilize and they're they're talking crazy, but there's no one in there to be like, you guys are are crazy. Have you heard about the incel movement? Mm-mm. Um, basically involuntarily celibate. Ah. So guys who can't get women who feel like it's their right to be able to sex is a right, okay. and some of them believe that the government should provide them with the means to sleep with someone or whatever. Wow. Well, I, I, mean, I feel like if prostitution was legal, that might curb that. And that's why people go. That's why conferences are in Vegas. Okay, full circle. <laughs> that's why, because they're all of those men. <laughs> go to vegas <laughs> they say um wherever prostitution is legal um statistically um domestic violence is- assault is down mm-hmm. um just everything is is nicer because i guess yeah people are, i i mean sex workers getting laid. they there i know many that really like doing their job and mm-hmm. You know, I I mean, I can't speak on this topic really, but I've just heard and my friend did a, um entire podcast called Sold in America. Um, and she went and visited brothels and different areas and spoke to sex workers and many of them enjoy doing what they're doing and people have different stories and whatnot, but I think... In the right circumstance. In the right circumstances and whatnot, mm-hmm. but I mean, yeah, full circle, back, you know, conferences, so and that's how. the Ziza <laughs> sorry thing, I think the way that ended was he said, she said no, he mm-hmm. stopped, mm-hmm. but she continued to hang out at the apartment, but I believe they were still naked throughout the whole after situation. Yeah. So she didn't put her clothes back on. Right. And, and so that's what kills it's, me. It's weird. It's, that's what kills me. That's what kills me. And then the, the Louis C.K. one. Is- Shorties like that are fucking it up for everybody. Yeah. So I don't know what your name is, but you fucked it up for everybody. A, Quote me. Because she, she actually did a blog post afterwards and it was a whole thing. Yeah. So she might have been, it might have been all premeditated. And that's. Who stuff, knows? That stuff undermines the stories of women who are actually. In my opinion. Okay. In my opinion, but it, mm. I mean, in the technology space, I think it's different. And I mean, I don't know what direction you necessarily wanted this. Podcast. I don't. I don't go into. <laughs> I used to like you know when we did the CTM podcast and when um, we did other podcasts. Of course, there were plans. This one, I purposely don't really make one. I kind of just sit down with people mm-hmm. and it's like wherever it goes. I, I just kind of want it to flow naturally. Yeah. Versus like I have these talking points that I want you to get to. But I mean. I will say that scenarios like that push me to quit my job and start my own company um, because I wanted to own the narrative, right? Like own the narrative for security and move it from being like elitist to everyone because security should be something that everybody should, should understand and concerned about. Um, own the narrative of sales. Like I want to do business with people I want to do business with and not be um, under the pressure of somebody else's numbers and revenue, especially if you're in sales splitting your commissions with whatever company that you work for even though you own the entire relationship and are doing all of the work and doing the engineering and whatnot um and just really having the full decision making power and taking what the industry is doing and like moving the money to help people rather than just 
re-up the people like the security industry is extremely incestuous and it's a super small industry even though it's like the largest growing industry um the pockets of people that are in the in the industry they say there isn't a lot of talent there is a lot of talent it's just people hire based off of who they know in my industry there's a lot of uh nepotism there's a lot of favoritism and it's like there's bias, and I, I understand it in a way, because people like to feel comfortable. So if you, I think it's, there are nuances to it where it's mm-hmm. like, if I grew up in an all-white neighborhood, and all my friends were white, and so on and so forth, this is my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm hiring white guys. Right. You know what I mean? I don't look at it all, like, automatically as a, you don't like black yeah. guys. Yeah. Like. So, I think... When we do a really good job of exposing people where like I there there are PR companies and tech companies I've worked with that I I'm not implicitly like, oh, I I haven't seen you work with black people, but they we've had great relationships and I haven't in the past seen them work with other African-Americans. But the fact that we're working together and it wasn't like some type of token thing, it was just like we have a great relationship. You offered something no one else is offering Let's do the job, yeah. I think that's more so an exposure situation than a, like... Right, I agree. Unconscious bias. Yeah, and I I think I even see... I I saw something on LinkedIn a few months ago where this woman was saying how um, she... And I even messaged, like, a lot of people say, like, I did everything and I still can't find a job, blah, blah, blah. Half the people... I just, like, I don't have a lot of... um, I carry empathy in a lot of ways, but like I just don't fuck with excuses because Agreed. I, you That's know, the same here. And so when people say I couldn't, I did everything and I couldn't find a job, I I can't relate. I've and maybe people say, well, it's because you're pretty and you have the gift of gab or whatever. And are you are you pretty? Is that something people would th- you I know? Don't, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes people like people? to tell me that, and that's Is that probably what people say? you know guys like to grab my ass, like you know grab oh. my ass in random places. I'm so oh. like, oh, my butt must be really nice that this person, or yeah. you know, or if people say weird things to me, I'm like, oh, okay. So, it's so probably- far from this conversation. I've gleaned that men love you because you're pretty and you cook. Yes. And and something about your butt. Wow, I'm really wow. kind of, but not really. I wow. hope that that is not the the message that people are getting. But what I what I mean is like they they give they make an excuse even for like the hard work that I've put in. Like when I talk to people, especially like the coaching sessions that I've done with folks that are trying to get into security ever since I like opened up the um avenue of like the Instagram videos and stuff, a lot of people have reached out to me like, "Hey, I want to move." Or or blah, 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 um, move directions in my career or learn more about security. And I'll be like, okay, what have you done? And people will start by saying, I'm looking for a job. I've done everything. I can't, I can't figure it out. Like, you know, they're really not hiring people of color what, or women. What do you think that is? And then I'm like, well, what did you do to prepare? And they only have like one resume. Or they only, in my opinion, you have to be prepared with multiple resumes that there are things that you can do to make yourself marketable and sales. And I think people don't have the innate like sales quality, which I understand. But from my experience, like most of the people that I spoke to and they're younger and I, and I'd say it to them on the phone. I'm like, you sound lazy. 
You don't sound like you've done everything. You sound like you're lazy as shit. And if you made one resume, talk to three people, like prospecting and sales, you got to pick up the phone. I used to dial 180 fucking calls a day. Oh, boss. You know what I'm saying? Like So, um it's it's funny that you said that. Um when I started my IT company, um I don't know if this is a thing, but I I was in a weird space and I had just quit another job and for some reason there was just always a disconnect with jobs for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I was always into IT. I didn't really know how to do it properly. So a friend of mine suggested, well, why don't you go either ask or work for a company that does IT stuff and kind of just mm-hmm. figure it out from the inside. So uh, long story short, I ended up at Best Buy. I was doing Geek Squad for like a year, mm-hmm. right? Figuring out the ins and outs. I didn't really learn much, but I did end up like stealing some of their business customers and getting started that way. Right. So when I went prospecting, I would literally, I don't know a lot of people from Jersey. You're no, from, from Queens, Jersey, yeah. But you guys, yeah. So I would literally walk down Bloomfield Ave because it's just one of the longer, like it's just mm-hmm. clearly you could just walk down there. So I'd walk down Bloomfield Ave for like a good two hours, just stopping at every store and every business and just like. Door to door. And the yeah. muscle, it worked this muscle for me where. I got told no so many times. At first, it it hurts, mm-hmm. but then after a while, the nose just kind of just rolled off my back. Like, nah, all right, cool, yeah, That's yeah, good. and, and then- exactly. I feel like, and people of color, and I'm I don't want to make a hasty generalization. At least some of like the younger folks that I've spoken to, like, you get rejected a couple times, and it's automatically this like victimization of self of like. It didn't happen because of this, this or this. And this woman on LinkedIn, when she posted about it, like, I even saw her resume. She had mad fucking typos on her resume. So I commented. I was like, I don't think you not getting hired has anything to do with you being black, but, or maybe it does, right? Like, I, like, messaged her privately. I was like, but I saw, like, five typos on your resume. Yeah. You don't have any certs. That I feel you like need, that like, should be, but that should be the absolute last place we go, where it's like there's no other explanation but like so same. If she had this glowing, rec- she had glowing recommendations. Her her resume was stellar, and it was just like, dude, like why wouldn't anyone hire this person? Right. Then you could go to okay, well, they hired someone less qualified who was who was Caucasian. Then we could be like, okay, I get you it. Know what I mean? Yeah, but. A lot of times, like, when people scream racism to me, I'm kind of like, well, I I might have dealt with the same person and not gotten that. Or there's a level of entitlement, which is another thing that's a pet peeve of mine. Mm. Where people feel oh, my like, same. <laughs> you owe me or I deserve. And I and my parents are um, we're Haitian immigrants. Mm-hmm. So even when I was young. I kind of always operated from this standpoint of the universe doesn't owe you shit. There's mm-hmm. no such thing as fair and you don't deserve and there's no happy endings. Like even karma is a loose thing for me. Right. Where people are like, well, like, you know, karma's going to get you. I'm like, listen, like starving kids in Africa, that's not like they did something bad and like right. you know, they deserve this. Like, you know, bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. Right. But it's random in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So when you look at people who are like complaining and then I look at my own background where it's like my parents came here, they didn't speak the language, they had every disadvantage and they're doing great. And then 
you were born here with every like you know what I mean. You you were ahead of the curve, and again, there's there's systemic racism and there's all other things, but there's nothing we're gonna do to change that. Like you know, this is the game we're playing. These are the rules. There's a people are fucking lazy. Yeah, basically. people are fucking lazy, and I'll you again, I'm sorry. no, you're good. People are lazy, and it's like. You know, talking about it isn't going to make it happen. You have to put in the action. You have to work really, really hard in order to get to where you want to go. You know, like we see, and especially in this like social media climate, I feel like you just see everybody's come up all the time. And and the highlight reel, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you out here at happy hour every day. How the fuck are you working on your resume and stuff like i see what you're doing on the internet and you're telling me something different i don't believe you mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. right like it's public information you're doing it but and and so it's like i don't know i just i and now i stopped taking those phone calls because they just piss me off so i like have a prerequisite <laughs> ahead of time I, I was at a point and I, I i've had this conversation with um the people close to me a while back and when i first got started i reached out to a bunch of people mm-hmm. and i wanted to do different things and i wanted to work and i i i'm a really hard working person and i reached out to a bunch of people not a lot of people got back to me not a lot of opportunities presented themselves and i mean i did feel a way about it mm-hmm. now looking back at it i was like dude you weren't ready for that like, mm-hmm. it's a good thing you didn't get those opportunities because you you wouldn't even know what to do with that if you got it. You know what I mean? And I think if people sort of put themselves in the position of, are you really ready for, like, if you went and you pitched a company, like, some million-dollar pitch or whatever, like, could you pull that? Like, are you capable of doing that? Are you ready for that? Or should you be, should you be pitching, like, you know, 20, not even that, like, it, Three thousand dollar contracts, and then work your way up to ten, then work your way up to twenty. Like scale, kind of figure out the bugs, work the kinks out before you get to hundred thousand dollar contracts or whatever you're into before you get to. I think some people jump the gun and they don't realize they're doing themselves a disservice. Yeah, I I feel like I'm at a crossroads right now with my company. So Cyber Collective is two-part. It's a social enterprise, and I do impact work, and my impact work is funded through the profit that the company makes. And I do my traditional consulting, and I'm pretty much taking the model that I had before, which was acting as a broker, where I managed and kept relationships with manufacturers, cybersecurity manufacturers, and then I would go into um, my client list and basically do product architecture, understand their framework, what they need for security, and then tell them, like match them to a product that they may or may not need or tell them what they have, they're spending too much money or really do a full assessment of their security posture. So right now I'm at a place where I'm like, I really like doing this impact consumer work, but I don't know that my company is ready or I physically am ready to um, do everything at once, right? And so I'm like, okay, do I put this on pause and continue to do the consulting, right? Do I do this work and work for somebody else and remove the services leg that I have and just keep it at a high level consulting for like 
individuals and families that want security that you, that type of service doesn't necessarily exist today, right? Um, but like I'm at that crossroads right now just thinking about like, okay, how much time do I have? What do I really want to accomplish? Um, what are my personal goals and what's going to like keep me um, functioning from a monetary perspective and allow me to live the lifestyle and pay my bills and whatnot. Right. Basically building it out to be sustainable. Yeah, right? sustainable long term and stuff, right? And so, a lot of, and that's another thing too, not to cut you off. Yeah, no, you good. But I have these conversations with people and they have these business pitches that have like zero, like, you know, monetization models. Um, they, they have zero, um, like there's no monetization model built into it. So you go and again, there's a, um, you know, Ant, like we've, we've mm-hmm. had these conversations mm-hmm. about like, you know, um, black businesses or, or businesses led by minorities, like bootstrapping and figuring it out internally. And I mean, yeah, I do agree that there should be funding put into that because I'm, I'm on both sides because I've seen companies that actually get funding and these guys blow it on like Lambos and like whatever. I've, I've seen it. Mm-hmm. And I've seen these minority led businesses who sort of become profitable and they started with like zero dollars and they're like making something out of nothing, which is really great. But then you have the people who have an idea, but there's no functioning concept or monetization model or any type of actionable thing built into it Mm -hmm. and then that's the we circle back to entitlement thing and instead of taking personal account it's everybody else's fault right which is is tough and i mean i'm interviewing right now Is is that like do you feel like that's a millennial thing is that a new younger generation thing or just the way society's heading because of social media and the internet and so on and so forth. I think it's the way society is heading with what we have available and what we perceive to be quick success without realizing how much time that somebody has spent doing something. When I have moments where I'm like, damn, this person has like has so many followers or like is doing really well, has all of these uh, sponsors or something like that, I um, go all the way to the bottom of their timeline to see when they started. And I go all the way, if I have like a moment of insecurity or comparison, and then I see like people started doing like, because I just started this whole social media thing, but I see that people started doing it in like 2010, in 2009. And so how how am I judging what somebody has or like their sponsors or whatever they're doing online or what I'm seeing without understanding like the amount of time that they work the work that they put into it right so if you like do the math with the amount of time times whatever physical work that they did on a daily basis but i don't think people are taking the time to understand that or see that um and like we're under this that we're just in a consumption market where people just consume and so people want to be a creator but they're too busy consuming to actually create anything and it's just like big ideas are everywhere but like details aren't like happening or it's weird because influencer used to be this thing that was used to describe someone who was um someone who was basically doing something 
So to me, uh, initially, the influencers were like you were talented at something. You were a musician or you did something. You're really great at it. People were paying attention to you for whatever you were doing. And then because of that position you were in, you were able to influence people through sales and Mm -hmm. product stuff and so on and so forth. And we shifted from a point where the American dream was people genuinely wanted to go to get a job. Like the American dream was to find work. I could find work and I could sustain myself, take care of my family, be comfortable, maybe take a couple of vacations a year, take care of my kids, so on and so forth. And that shifted from doing something to the American dream now is like to get paid to do nothing. Yeah. And it's a fantasy, but people feel like it's real because I guess propaganda through social media and that sort of thing. And I... I'm I'm big on conspiracy theorists sometimes and the way that it all, all kind right, this of is gonna go left now. pushes okay. pushes around. But I do think that sometimes um, you know, the way that Instagram and the things that are you're seeing and what's being marketed to you mm. allows of course people like Instagram and these social media platforms, they keep building platforms to entertain the idea of being able to make it big. Like now there's TikTok or Triller or whatever, and there's something new that people are hopping on to create content and like have as many followers as possible. And so it just, it keeps being pushed by the larger companies and they just continue to keep control. And they just have like large markets of people consuming and kind of creating, but not really creating the things in my, like there are people creating things that make a difference that are doing videos and whatnot. That's not what I'm trying to say here. But I mean, you're lip singing on Triller instead of like whiteboarding and thinking about a product that you want to create. But the people that are creating the product that you're consuming are doing the other thing. And so I think that it's just like, these systems are just like but that's that's not that's not sexy though right like i i have a um we we do a lot of background work and even for for people to watch what we're doing right now we're sitting down and we're doing um the whole podcast thing everything behind that in terms of the work put into this place the work that we're going to have to put into this place afterwards because we're not completely done here yet Mm -hmm. Um, making the deals going from a point where I basically went back and forth with our sponsors for about a year and I had to go and meet them. It wasn't like, um, shout out to CES where, you know, we actually do business out there and where we linked up with blue. Um, it's a whole process and it's not like we rest on our laurels. We get up, we go out, we find people, you do pitches and you. Yeah. It's you prospecting. It's a sales yeah. cycles are long as shit. It's, it's a lot of work. And then it's unfortunate because you do the announcement because you want to promote the project and let people know what you're doing and what you're up to and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. But it's not like you're, you're promoting the process so it's not like, yo, I sent an email to Blue Mike today, yo. Yeah. Like, you know, no one's, no one, no one cares about that part. You know what I mean? Waited twenty we're, minutes for them yeah. to for them to actually join no. the conference call. No. Yo, we're negotiating. I don't think they're close to my numbers, dog. We'll see what happens. Like you're just, not just redline this mm. contract. Gonna wait two yeah. weeks before a lawyer gets yeah. back to me. Yeah. 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 Their PR department's about to send me another email. I don't think I could say such and such. A, like you go through this whole process. And negotiating, especially when we do events where it's like you have multiple sponsors 
and you're basically sort of playing back and forth where mm-hmm. they're like, okay, well, we know you're doing with these guys, so they can't do this. And you're, you're doing all this back and forth. No one sees anything but the finished product. So then it's very easy for someone to kind of roll up to you and say, oh, hey, man, I want to do a podcast tomorrow. How do I get a sponsor? And I'm kind of just sitting there. And maybe they don't understand the frustration in me. And I'm like, bro, what, like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, it's, that's, that's crazy. And I'm just learning about that world. Like, I've mm-hmm. been in security, so I know of the way that, like, the antiquated sales work, like, pick up and dial and schmoozing. I've probably been to, like, all the steakhouses in New York City. Like, very privileged for that. But, like, that's how these old heads do business. Do business yeah. You know, I've been to many golf courses and to learn how to play golf because that's how this industry is still set kind of in that in that time and so now i'm like doing these videos and stuff and i've been like blessed i went to the idea exchange and you know i met you i met madison and like the way that people are consuming what i'm putting out there i guess like it's all coming back like in favor of what i'm doing and it's wonderful but it's still like even producing the content and making my video where i don't even care if my like um, like if my makeup is like, I wake up, I rub my eyes. I'm like, I have an idea. I'm going to put it on the internet. And so I just like go and I make a video, but I, it's still so much work. It takes so much time to like create that content and stuff. And so I started doing the events and trying to find like the vendors to work with and sponsors and creating a pitch deck and doing like a world that I'm not like, I've, I've done pitch decks, but for security tools. I've never done pitch decks that have to be like visually or aesthetically appealing, right? Like that's not the world that I come from. Mine's all like data centric and. I got some templates, I got you. Yeah, but but you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I'm even realizing that world, it's so much like that social media content creation world and stuff and the how much work goes into it because I used to like look at influencers and I'd be like, that's easy, I could do that. Dude, they, I know this girl, she's out in LA and she has a whole team. Like, it's like two people that follow her around all day. Be, and it's so much, it's so much yeah. work. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot of work. Um, but yeah, so that's why I'm trying to figure out, like, do I want to keep doing consulting and work for somebody else and do my consulting and stay kind of, um, in the game, right? Because okay. now having my own business, I'm really isolated from the market and because I'm a reverent, like I'm speaking against the shit that people are doing and stuff and doing the social media. So like at a crossroads trying to figure this all out, but learning how like anybody listening to this, anything that you do takes like sales and hustle and having like an inner entrepreneurship, I feel like. This is going to be like a crazy segue, but to go back to the Muslim thing, which I was curious about. Mm -hmm. So what's your background? I'm from Bangladesh. Okay. So, and like, I, I got a signal from Amar, so I'm going to try to wrap, wrap this up. Wrap it up, as yeah. My, and we just yeah. started talking about real things like yeah. an hour after. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, <sighs> the, the, um, the Muslim background you have, your, your, your family's from Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. Um, really quickly, having a, a background of like you know immigration and so on and so forth mm-hmm. how does that feed into what you do day to day in terms of the the entrepreneurial stuff it's exactly what you said of being raised with like the universe not owing you anything you just got to work hard um and 
knowing that the work that I do, like even my family doesn't understand still what I do and trying to like it feeds me in a way, right? Like my parents, I would get A's and be like, well, you don't have an A plus. And or right, like nothing was ever good enough. Um, so that definitely feeds into the way that I try to keep working, because even if I get it, like helps me build my momentum. Um, but the whole but the way like being a Bengali immigrant and being one of the first women to start a cybersecurity like social enterprise and how it all builds into the narrative, I think it's more so like I think about it but I'm trying not to talk about it if that makes sense because um now it's like becoming a fad like to the point where I I, I don't know like I feel like these it people take a narrative and they push the narrative instead of the work sometimes yeah. right and so I'm trying so, to like let my because I've always been like a story plus metrics guy yeah. versus story over metrics. Right. Which I think like personally it pushes me because I take care of my parents and I need to make money. So yeah. like that's the way it's going to happen. Um, and for the work that I'm doing, like, yeah, it's cool that I'm, I guess like one of the first to do something like this, but nobody cares like in the security industry, but yeah. Right. But it does matter. And I know that people are influenced by that. And it's important to my story personally. But I don't I don't want it to become like the only thing. The story is cool if it works. Yeah. If it doesn't work, who really cares? Exactly. And so it's like, I don't know if this is going to (laughs) work. The the big the big thing for me um, going into the whole thing with my my parents was it was almost like I when I started my business, what fueled me for like the first year was like the chip on my shoulder slash spite. Yeah. You know what I mean? And to eventually get to a point where you kind of go out and you're like, no, you got like I got this. Mm-hmm. It's like there's a there's a like and they're like, oh, all right. Yeah. Like, like once you start bringing in the money, like, they're like, like yeah. Right. You're successful like, now. You're doing like, good things. Right. You guys can shut the fuck up now. Yeah. <laughs> Take this money and go home. Go away. Shut up, everybody. Yeah. Um. So there was that. And then past that, I think once you get past like the, the spike and the chip on your shoulder and something to prove, and I guess the initial motivation, and then you're kind of there and people are like, oh, you're doing great. Like, and no one gives a fuck anymore. Now you kind of have to find somewhere else to like get that from yeah the, the drive and the so on and so forth so what what drives you what pushes you on a day-to-day basis i really enjoy doing now recently what has been drive i mean success drives me like monetary success has driven me yeah, for a long great. time that's why I've, I've been in sales and but recently it's I think the lack of knowledge that people have and how I um, get challenged, the especially what drives me lately is I don't have anything to hide when people say that when it comes to security. Um, but the challenge of educating a very large group of people, uh, the, the masses, about something that's so vital that they just don't know about is what has been driving me recently. Yeah. Because I could just go on with my life and make a lot of money working at a consulting firm doing my 
sales. I think my interest in cybersecurity is that I have a lot of things to hide. And right? I, yeah, I want to keep my shit private. That's what I'm saying. Um, but in general, I, I think like trying to challenge people to think differently right now because security. In terms of security and data. In data, security, data, technology in today's world and kind of break this idea of what security is and bring it to the ground level where it belongs mm. because it's everybody's data, like the security industries keeping everybody's data or supposedly keeping everybody's data safe, but nobody knows what they're doing. Yeah. And it's just like this repository. Okay. So we're going to wrap up soon as I know, my, my. I know we got to wrap. Um, so really quickly, um, did, have you ever done the ancestry.com thing? I would never. Okay, cool. So I was talking to people about that. So, you know, they get to like, unless you opt out, some of them say you have to opt out. They keep your, your DNA yeah. and there's like this repository somewhere mm-hmm. where like, 50 years from now. I'm not a conspiracy theorist person. I think they it's can in the you. realm of possibility where there's just going to be like, I don't know, like personal sex dolls of you just running around. I don't know. what. Are, like, what are they going to do with you? Like, what are they going to... What are you going to do with your your clones? Or just in the way that the government works, if you are being tried for something and there's no physical evidence about it, but they know and have the information because you announce it on fucking Facebook that so you get you the ancestry and, and you just get the DNA. So it's terrible for people who who murder. Want to do yeah, who yeah, murder who and murder. commit crimes. It's crazy that stuff. your mind went there. Um, but <laughs> so <laughs> so she definitely did it. Um, yeah, I just don't want them to Gemini man me, man. I don't want to pop up and have a 20-year-old me try to murder me when I'm 50. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, there's so much more. That's what like, happens in the movie, I, by the way. I, spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert. I low-key wish kind of that we're out of time, but like talked more about the security piece, but that was my bad on the tangents yeah, we're gonna, I went we're gonna, to. Yeah, like, we'll, we'll bring you back and we'll, we'll talk <laughs> more about it. The but, other stuff was way more fascinating. Yeah, it, it is, yeah. but I, I like... It's really important for people just to understand that this affects us in every way possible. And right. you should read the book Future Crimes by Mark Goodman. I'm going to look that up. Yeah. Um, just really quick, and um, we're going to wrap with this. Um, what do you need right now? Like, what if you could have anything right now to whatever? Like, what what would you want? What would you What would you need right now for whether it's personal, business, um, more of these speaking opportunities, pod for to get the message out for why security matters, especially um at the ground level, and to organically get the message out. So, what I would need would be I need people to listen. So, how do I get people to listen by being put on like either? podcasts or speaking i've been applying to mad conferences and whatnot so i guess for my personal um and business and what i'm trying to do would be having opportunities to be able to share my message awesome well um thanks for making your way to newark thank you for having me i'm and i know we went over but thank you so much. We don't have a time. Like they, like you know, they. I don't know. They, they just told me it was time to wrap up. Technically, we should wrap up at a certain point because stuff is going to start dying. And yeah, right. Yeah, but this and is, people want to go home. This and, is the coolest podcast. This studio is so awesome. These oh, are thank this, you. this mic, this mic, and yeah. the headphones are fire. 
Shout out to Blue Mike, man. Blue Mike. I'm going to hit him up myself. You know what I'm saying? And, um, <laughs> and uh, what's that called again? And uh, the the studio, when we finally like put it out, like this episode's probably not going to actually release till early January. But, okay. Um, we're, we're calling it Brick Labs. Brick Labs? Right? Yeah. And um, it's going to be full service podcasting, um, web series, shooting, photography, like so awesome i might we're moving back we're gonna be in new york full-time by Mm. the spring and i have from detroit oh nice nice. and i have many podcast ideas and one i think i i want it to be anonymous so anonymous voice changer and everything so is this gonna be like some type of weird eyes wide shut thing it's gonna be weird it's gonna be really weird yeah but they're gonna know it's me (laughs) All right, so we're going anyway, to wrap that now. Yeah. So on that note. <laughs> on that note. Right, thanks, guys, for listening. Thank you guys so much. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Catalyst Case, Sendstroke, Wildhorn Outfitters, and, of course, Blue Microphone. This is Reg, and you're listening to Thought Hack.